and happy Father's Day weekend to the fathers, grandfathers among us. Today's message is about my father's business. New King James says, didn't you know that I had to be in my, um, that I had to be about my father's business, NIV says, in my father's house. And so this morning we're going to take a special look at this passage, but before we do, and, and before we focus on our relation to the Heavenly Father. I've asked um, a friend of mine, Becky, who is actually Sharon's older sister, or one of Sharon's older sisters. Come on up, Becky. Um, it was nearly three years ago that I got to baptize Becky at the Modesto Central Church when I was uh, working there as a youth pastor. And so Sharon was a part of those studies, and it's just really neat to be able to see um, just kind of down the road how God continues to grow us. Now, Becky, a while back, three years ago, you wrote a speech. Does your dad know that you're doing this? No? Okay. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> so, so three years ago, Becky wrote a speech. Becky, what was the speech entitled? Do you remember? My Hero. My Hero. Okay. And so I've asked Becky to recall the files in her memory and see if she could share that speech for us again. Could you? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has a hero. It could be Carrie Underwood, Joe Montana, Tiger Woods, or maybe someone like your mom, sister, grandparent, or a friend. To me, a hero is someone who puts their life at risk for someone else, someone who puts another's needs before their own needs, and one who is a good role model and cares. My hero isn't a celebrity, but he is, my, but he is Joe Barkley, my daddy. My dad keeps a roof over my head no matter what. If he had to work two jobs, he would. My dad puts my needs before his. If we need some, something, my dad is sure to get it in a flash. If something went wrong, my dad would find a solution and he wouldn't stop till it was solved. My dad goes to, ex goes to the extreme for me. Not only for me, but for my family. Five years ago, we lived in Arkansas. One crazy morning, worshiping alone outside, my dad felt as though someone had a gun aimed at him from the shadows. Slowly turning and facing the direction of the unseen threat, he said, I don't know who you are or what you want, but you can't hurt my family. Hearing this, I know I will always be safe because my dad will be there for me, which is why I call him my hero. And the reality is this, whether or not your kids have as eloquently said so, dads, you are appreciated. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, one of my very first visual memories as a child, like, yeah, if I were to recall the things that my mind remembers when I was five or four, there's not very much. It's really fuzzy. But what I do remember is a visual of my dad. Well, actually, two visuals. <laughs> one is a visual of my dad praying beside his bed. That's a, that's a visual that I, I, I'll never forget. Whenever I uh, would go to bed, I would want to say goodnight to him, and I knew that I was going to be interrupting him if he was already in his room, and apparently that's what he was doing when, uh, whenever I went in. The second visual is, um, it's blurry because I was actually in the water. I remember as a young person, I had a big wheel. I don't know if you remember what those are. The big, yeah, the little tricycle things, big wheel, and uh, we had a swimming pool, didn't have any gate or fence around it, but um, apparently... One of the little wheels of my big wheel <laughs> caught the edge of the pool, and I, I dipped into the pool. This is well before I knew how to swim. 
but one of my very first memories of my dad is blurry because as I looked up out of the water, I saw a professionally dressed doctor come out to the back, backyard and he jumped in after me. And so, whether you have people say it or not, dads, we love you. I hope my dad hears this recording someday. <laughs> I'll see him this weekend. Anyways, <clears throat> about my father's business. This morning, we, um, we want to recognize that we do not just have earthly fathers in our lives, but we have a relationship to a heavenly father. And he has business for us. <laughs> so let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. God, I thank you that in every moment and in whatever circumstance, you are present. Whether or not we've seen it, heard it, felt it, God, I pray that by faith we would claim the reality that you are our Father. Because Jesus, you taught us how to pray like this, our Father. And so we're calling out to you, God, as the one who knows what's best for us and always does what's best for us. God, please instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. As we open up the Bible, we want to hear from you today. So please send us your Holy Spirit. Give us a spirit of understanding, but not just for head knowledge, but for heart transformation as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Let everyone say, amen. 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 All right. So if you have a Bible, we're going to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. You'll notice that we haven't had a real sermon series uh, in the last few weeks. We've kind of had different programs here and there. Lots of activity, hustle and bustle. Uh, it's been fun. It's been high pressure for some of us. But uh, today, I'm sharing a message that God has just kind of put on my heart um, over the last few days as I've been reading Luke in my personal devotions. And so in Luke chapter 2, there's this story that we're all familiar with. It's actually the very first words of Jesus that are ever recorded, okay? Jesus is 12 years old. Do you remember the first words of your kids? I always kind of like, you know, I jousted with my wife about like whether Jenna would say mommy or daddy first, and I don't know. I always think that it was daddy first. <laughs> Apparently the da is easier to say than ma. Anyway, so Jesus' first words, however, are recorded here, you know, the first recorded words in Luke chapter 2. It's a familiar story, you remember it. It's Passover, according to verse 41. Verse 42, it says, When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Now, you have to catch a sense of Passover. Passover was one of the busiest times of the year. There were three holidays in the Jewish calendar that really required all males to come to Jerusalem. So, huge, huge masses. It was a pilgrimage of sorts. So, you just get that visual of throngs and throngs of people, and Jesus gets to go for the very first time when he's 12 years old. Apparently, by the time the feast was over, Family leaves, and they assume that Jesus is in their company. Look at verse 44. The, and the New King James says, But supposing him to have been in the company. Meaning they assumed, they took it for granted, we could say, that he was part of their caravan traveling home. Now this is getting, like, you think about this. How many times do we sometimes assume that Jesus is in our company? Hmm. 
How often do we assume and suppose that he's with us, though we haven't really given much intentionality behind it? So verse 44, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey. A whole day, they hadn't seen one side of Jesus. They hadn't heard him. They hadn't seen him. So at the end of the day, they're looking. Hey, where's our son who is always such a constant companion? Where's our son who's always helping me with this or that? Where is he? Verse 44 continues, and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. That word sought, or they were seeking, it, it, it involves an intense, anxious seeking. And in verse 45, it says, So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now verse 48 here, there's a pause in the conversation. You know, the parents of Jesus, Joseph and Mary, they're just kind of watching, like, well, here's this 12-year-old, and he's really having these deep, deep discussions with the learned rabbis. So when there's a pause in that discussion, they interrupt, Jesus, come on. <laughs> We've been looking for a whole day. Where were you? Verse 48. Son, why have you done this to us? Can you hear kind of the, the condescension there? Remember, this is the, the Son of God. And so Mary, trying to be a mother at the same time to the Son of God, says, Son, why have you done this to us? And notice, look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Do you notice that? She said, your father, speaking of who? Joseph. Your father and I have been seeking you anxiously. Now notice how Jesus calmly responds. Verse 49 he said to them, why did you seek me? There's that word again, seek, that anxious seeking, that anxious investigation. Did you not know that I must, that's a word of necessity, I must be about my father's business. Did you catch the contrast? Mary says, your father and I, and Jesus says, I'm about my father's business. Now, I don't think Jesus at the age of 12 was trying to rebuke his parents. <laughs> I think he was establishing something about his own mission and identity that hadn't necessarily been clear before. Now, the New International Version says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? The literal Greek, it's very ambiguous. It's very open. It says, didn't you know that I had to be in the things of my father in the things of my father now the question is okay he was in the temple so yes he was in god's house so yeah that's definitely applicable but given all that was going on in jesus mind given all that he was seeing all the sights that he was seeing for the very first time you remember what feast this was this was the the passover right and it was at the passover that the central figure was the Passover what? Passover lamb. So here's a young, impressionable mind at the, year, at the age of 12 who's seeing in action his own life mission. And Jesus is not quick to leave this scene. Verse 43 says that he lingers. He remains. He stays behind because in his young mind, he's connecting the dots. He's saying, that lamb, 
is me. And at that young age, he needed to sit down. He, in the midst of the crowds, he, he didn't get caught up in the hustle and bustle, but he just narrowed his focus a little bit. And he said, I've got to be about my father's business. Now notice the contrast here. His parents, probably caught up in all the activity, the flurry of travel. I mean, how many of us know what road trips are like, especially with little ones, right? And, and so, you know, you're, you're worried about packing this, packing that, cooking this, cooking that. You know, all the other people that are traveling with you, you're enjoying your time. At the same time, it's really stressful. It's high pressure, okay? Just kind of put yourself in that mentality. Joseph and Mary, they've got high things taking place, high activity, high intensity. But here's Jesus, who in the midst of that intensity has tunnel vision, so to speak. There's a contrast between the the parents' negligence, but Jesus' intentionality. There's a contrast between the parents' spread vision and Jesus' tunnel vision. There's a contrast because somehow along the line, Joseph and Mary had forgotten what they were supposed to do. They had forgotten that they were the guardians and custodians of the very Son of God. They've forgotten, but Jesus has not forgotten. Do you see the contrast? Yes or no? And here's the thing. The reason why this spoke so deeply to me this week is that because, personally, I was going through a phase of very, very high high pressure, high intensity, high everything, okay? A flurry of things always constantly through my mind. And Jesus was reminding me that when things get crowded, or maybe I should say it like this, the more crowded things got, the more solitude Jesus sought. Do you catch it? The more, the more active things got, the more still Jesus got. And so he, he sat down and he said, no, 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 I need to be about my father's business. Question for us this morning. How many times this week has someone asked you, how are you doing? And your response was, busy. <laughs> someone said, fine. Someone said, fine. Yeah, the, the common response has always been, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. But have you noticed that more and more, the new fine is busy. Have you noticed that? I was actually reading that on a web article, and I thought, how true is that? The new fine is busy as if our significance is found in being active and being in every which direction. The reality is, the more busy we are, the more prone we are to lose sight of Jesus. Joseph and Mary found it. The more crowded things get, you know, crowds have that effect on us. The more crowded things become, the easier it is to assume, to assume that Jesus is with us. But today, friends, I believe God is calling us to be about our Father's business. Look, busy may be the new fine, but when things get busier, I need to be more intentional about my Father's business. Whatever Jesus did at the age of 12, he understood that if things got crowded, I'm going to linger. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to dig my heels in deep and stay put until I know what my father's business is. Think about the implications, the applications for you personally, but also for us as a church. 
corporately, because I think this is real. On, a, on, a, on an individual level, your schedule, your to-do list, your calendars may be chock full. But if we're taking our cues from Jesus, the more crowded it gets, the more still we need to become. On a corporate level, it's summertime, right? <laughs> our church calendar is turning into reflect, you know, it's starting to reflect our own busy calendars individually, right? We had uh, Adventure Sabbath last month. We had preschool graduation, graduations all over. There's graduation at PUC right now, you know, all, all different kinds of things going on. VBS next week, children's choir next week, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the danger is that I think on a corporate level, we can get so caught up in the flurry of ministries, programs, activities that we begin to assume. Please do not let us assume. And don't, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the bull by the horns and say that's my responsibility. I cannot let us as a church family assume. But corporately, can we please have that agreement? Can we? To say that, look, the more crowded things get, the more solitude we need to seek. The more, the more busy things get, the more intentional and tunnel vision we need to be about what is our Father's business. Because here's the thing, we can do this and do that and have a whole year of all these amazing things. But at the end of it, we can be tired and burned out and say, now what were we trying to do? Have you ever, you know, at the end of a trip, at the end of a long stretch of just like going, going, going in your own life, in your family life, you're just like, whew, I need a vacation from vacation. No, whatever it is. And, and you just kind of stop and think, now, where was it we were going? You know, what, what were we trying to do? And so here's Jesus at the age of 12. And when things got crowded, he got still. And the reality is, that Jesus continued that habit throughout his life. And as I've been reading in my personal devotions in the book of Luke, I'm noticing more and more that Luke just keeps dropping these hints that Jesus gets alone, that Jesus withdraws, that Jesus steps out, especially, especially when it gets crowded. So can we just take a look at a few scenes together? We'll take a look at four more scenes in the Gospel of Luke. So just flip a page or two to Luke chapter 5. Go to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we're looking at verse 15 and 16. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. When you're there, say amen. amen. All right, Luke chapter 5, verse 15. The Bible says, However, the report went around concerning him, concerning Jesus, all the more. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So, picture Crowds are growing. Popularity is swelling. Very next word in verse 16. So, because of that, he, Jesus himself, often withdrew into the wilderness and did what? And prayed. Did you get the picture that Luke draws? Crowds galore. Popularity ranks are rising. So, Jesus withdraws to pray. And I believe it was in that quiet, in that stillness, that he came back to ground zero and said, what is my father's business? When it got crowded, Jesus withdrew. Another story in the next chapter, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. 
We're going to Luke chapter 6, and I believe the verse is 12. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. The beginning of Luke chapter 6, we've got two different stories where Jesus, uh, Jesus really encounters some confrontation, specifically regarding Sabbath keeping. So there's one story in verses 1 through 5, another one in verses 6 through 11. And immediately after these confrontational uh, uh, narratives, it says in verse 12, Now it came to pass in which days? Those days, okay? So these were days of conflict, these were days of confrontation. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to what? To pray. And notice the last part. And continued all night in sleep. Is that what it says? No! Continued all night seeking after God in deep prayer because he wanted to be about his father's business. Have you ever noticed that? When conflict arises, when conflict abounds, when disagreements and arguments and you're having to just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you notice that you begin, become reactionary? Do you know what I mean by that? You begin to react to situations, you begin to react to people, to different words, rather than being grounded and intentional and respond to people appropriately. And Jesus understands this. Look, <laughs> all this happens, all this happens. All right, I'm going to take some time to pray. And he does it for all night. Another story. Go three chapters to the right. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 18 is what we want to zero in on. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Okay, Luke chapter 9. You'll notice that we're zeroing in on verse 18, but right before verse 18, there's a very famous story. It's the feeding of the how many thousand? The 5,000, all right? So multitudes, multitudes, okay? He's feeding multitudes, and do you remember at the end of this amazing miracle, he feeds 5,000 from two fish, five loaves. At the end of this miracle, do you remember what Jesus does with the people? He sends them home. He sends them home. It's not recorded here in Luke 9, but in Mark chapter 6, it says it very specifically that Jesus actually sent the people away. But here in Luke chapter 9, verse 18, right after the feeding of the 5,000 story, Luke places this portrait of Jesus. And it happened as he was, what are the next two words? As he was praying alone. As he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? Is this another familiar conversation? So Jesus begins to ask the disciples, Look, who do the crowds say that I am? I, I understand that there's some common, popular expectation of what the Messiah is, so let's just start clarifying that, okay? So here, Jesus, it, he, he's, he's faced the thousands, and, and really there's a rise of confusion. There's a rise of confusion about who Jesus is and what his responsibilities are, what the people are to expect. And when confusion arises, guess what Jesus does? He withdraws. And he withdraws to pray. And on the other side of that time alone in prayer, he's able to come to the disciples and say, look, people think this way, but in reality, the Messiah is this. 
On the other side of his prayer time, he's able to clear through the confusion and get down to what his father's business really is. Are you seeing the trend? It's pretty, pretty radical, maybe. Maybe it's common sense. I don't know. This may be a familiar picture. But when crowds increase, Jesus withdraws. When conflict increases, Jesus withdraws. Not that he's running from problems, no. But that he's coming to his father and getting grounded in what his father's business is. And then when confusion increases, Jesus withdraws. Here's the thing. Crowds... Uh, things getting physically crowded in our lives or, or mentally crowded in our lives, when things grow and things get, get bigger, complexity comes along with it. You know? I mean, just ask, just ask a, a newlywed couple who has their first baby. Woo! Okay? <laughs> There's just the two of them. Just the two of them. Okay. Happily ever after, right? And then... Not to say that children are burdens, but when you add to the number, when things grow, complexity increases all that more. You know what I'm talking about? And look what happens when a second one comes. Amen. And some can testify to third, four, five, you know, whatever that, the situation might be. The more you grow, complexity increases. Now, here's the thing. As complexity increases, the need for clarity increases as well. Okay. And Jesus understood it. Look, things are getting complex. I need to become clear about what the Father's business is. Last, last story. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Now it's not just crowds. Now it's, it's not just conflict. Now it's not just confusion. Now it's crunch time. And in Luke chapter 22... We come down to the Garden of Gethsemane in verse 39. Jesus realizes that his time is just about here, that the hour of his glorification, the hour of the cross is just about here. And so it says in verse 39, coming out, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So now he's actually subscribing it to others. Or prescribing it, I should say. He's prescribing it to others. Hey, things are going to get, this is crunch time galore. You need to pray. And notice verse 41. And he, Jesus, was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and did what? You know what happens here. And in Luke's story, Jesus does not just pray a repetitious prayer. He prays to the point of drawing blood. He prays to the extent that this is, this is crunch time. Gethsemane. Did you know that Gethsemane means the olive press? And here his heart is pressed by the weight of the sins of the world. And when it's crunch time for Jesus, he's not going to become reactionary. He's not just going to go this way or that way. He's going to withdraw and he's going to pray so that he knows what his father's business is, what his father's will is. And that prayer, not my will, but yours be done. And on the other side of this prayer time where Jesus comes alone, Jesus is able to rise up 
and walk firmly to the cross. And as a result of him being about his father's business, souls are able to be saved. Which opens up the reality. No wonder Jesus was prescribing to the disciples, you've got to pray. Things are getting crowded. You've got to pray. Things are getting confusing. You've got to pray. Things are getting crunched. You've got to pray. Why? Because on the other side of it, it's a matter of life and death. Jesus says, on the other side of it, you can be doing your father's business, and when you are, it'll result in the salvation of souls just like it did for him. And so a question this morning is, are we about our father's business? Do we want to be individually, as a family, as a church family, do we want to be about our father's business, yes or no? Amen, amen. So the question is how? The question is how? As I look at Jesus' example, as I look at Jesus' example, there's two things. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to oversimplify it, or maybe this is just the thickness of my own head. <laughs> when I see Jesus, I see him do two things. One, he withdraws. He gets away, and he gets away to pray. Okay? So that, that's the first thing. He withdraws to pray. Or when he's 12 years old, he lingers to pray. Okay? Whatever the situation when things get crowded, Jesus withdraws to pray. That's step one. On a personal level, that's an appeal to spend time praying. <laughs> my youth pastor, one of my first youth pastors when I was in high school, he, he put up um, a huge stop sign. I'm not exactly sure how he acquired that road sign, <laughs> but he, he put up a huge stop sign in our chapel, huge stop sign. He said, S-T-O-P. And he gave a little devotional talk about stopping. And S-T-O-P stood for set times of prayer. Friends, you and I need to stop. <laughs> to be still, according to Psalm 46. To be still and know that God is God, not we. To be still, to withdraw and pray and be about our Father's business. To be so centered on that. To be so grounded. Withdraw and pray. Set times of prayer on a personal level. If you haven't set times of prayer... That whatever time you hope for is never going to happen. Have you noticed that? If you don't set it, if you don't put an alarm on your calendar for it, or whatever it is, if you don't carve it out, it's just going to get walked over. And so set it. Set those times of prayer. As a church family, did you know we have set times of prayer too? I, I, here's a little secret in my heart. I want more set times of prayer as a church family, Okay. So after church, there's always a, a small group here that meets in the committee room for special prayer. On Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Is it okay that I ask this question? Why is it that there are only a handful of people at prayer meeting? I realize maybe I'm being a little too hard on that because schedules are different. Kids need to go to bed, uh, whatever the situation. But I would just urge us to follow the example of Jesus as a church family and set times of prayer. Maybe 7 o'clock on Wednesday night doesn't work for you. And so let's set more times of prayer. How's that? All right, can we do that? You know, I'm, yeah, we can talk. We can talk more about this. Um, I, I've even thought about setting up Google Hangouts so we can pray online together. I don't know what it is. But let's set some times of prayer. Let's not be surprised if we start filling our calendar not with just more activities, but more set times of prayer to withdraw. Can we do that together? So that's, that's step one. Withdraw to pray. Withdraw to pray. In fact, let me just share with you what I came across. 
In Desire of Ages, by the way, if you haven't read Desire of Ages, read it. Oh, read it. Chapter 38, maybe today, that's going to be your target. Chapter 38 of Desire of Ages. This is called Come Rest a While. Page 363, powerful paragraph, says this. As a man, Jesus supplicated the throne of God till his humanity was charged with a heavenly current. Ah, picture that. Jesus, fully God yet fully man. So as a man, he supplicated the throne of God. That means he sought it in deep prayer. He supplicated the throne of God till his humanity was charged with a heavenly current that should connect humanity with divinity. Through continual communion, he received life from God that he might impart life to the world. Oh. Now notice this last sentence. His experience is to be ours. Amen. <laughs> Have you ever thought, man, Jesus is just a superstar. <laughs> High five Jesus. You do, but only... Here's the thing. That prayer life of Jesus, spending all night in prayer, praying until he's charged with a heavenly current, that experience is to be ours. So why not withdraw and seek it? Let's seek it. Individually, as a family, as a church family. Withdraw to pray. That's the first thing. Last thing, when we withdraw to pray, second is this. Discern the Father's business. Be able to come down to that point where you're saying, God, what am I doing? <laughs> and why am I doing it? When things get hectic, when the flurry of activity rises, always be able to go to that escape hatch in your mind or whatever it is and just answer those questions. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? That's the Father's business for you. He'll reveal it in his word. He'll reveal it in the still small voice in that prayer time as you withdraw. What is your Father's business because remember, Jesus knew what he was about. His parents, went, at that Passover, his parents forgot what their purpose and mission was about in the flurry of activity. Friends, let that not be said of us, you and me individually. And I would also say this, as a corporate family, as things get busy, let us not forget what our Father's business is as a church. As a church. And I've said it before, we've begun to print it in our bulletins, Parkwood Seventh-day Adventist Church exists to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. That's our mission, friends. That mission may be revised. That, that mission may be what we pursue for the next year, the next two years, the next three years. But right now, we've come to this point where we have grounded ourselves. Yes, this is our Father's business. And as we pursue this, as we seek to reveal Jesus in whatever we do, whatever ministries, whatever programs, our vision then, our vision is to belong to Christ in a healthy church family where every single member is valued and loved, thoroughly equipped and joyfully involved in linking others to Christ. That's our Father's business right here, right now. The rest of 2013, we'll talk about this more at the business meeting. So come, come to the business meeting and then come pray with us after the business meeting this Wednesday. Who wants to be about our Father's business? Are we in? Amen. Let's bow our heads. God, God, you know that to be about your business is something that the devil and the hosts of the kingdom of darkness have had millennia of years to perfect an art of distracting us from. And so, God, we are raising up 
uh, our, our awareness, we are raising up our consciences, and we ask that you would raise up a standard against the enemy. Please, God, would you please cause us to withdraw, cause us to linger in your presence to pray, and when we do seek you out, ground us, center us in what our mission and purpose is for this day and for days to come. Thank you, God, that you have a plan and purpose, that you want to reveal that to us on an individual level, and you'll do it continually uh, on a corporate level as well. So I pray, God, that in the name of Jesus, would you please pour out your Holy Spirit. Please fill us, God, because it is not our will that matters, but yours, and we want it to be done. So may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May Parkwood Church exist to fulfill that prayer. May our families exist to fulfill that prayer. May our lives be such that we fulfill that prayer. In Jesus' name, let the families say, amen.